we're continuing this series called Human, and the series Human is just looking at what it means to be human, and from a biblical perspective and a biblical worldview, what it means to be mankind. And we live in an incredibly divided world uh, with, with all sorts of division, and so for the last couple of months, we've been doing some series that talk about laying down differences for the cause of Jesus Christ, and then for this particular series, we're looking at what are some things we can all kind of unite together in, and as humans, that is our very humanity, but even culture today confuses us as to what humanity actually is, what humanity looks like, what it means to be mankind, and it's just a very complicated world, and so when things get complicated, we need to go back to our source, we need to go back to Scripture to see what God's Word says about being uh, made in the image of God, and that's where we started. And so there are just six brief things we've looked at so far in the last two weeks of what it means to be human. And, and number one is to be human is to be made in the image of God. That means that we are to image God, reflect God, show off God to the world. We're essentially to be God's representatives on this earth or in like a, a government way of speaking. We're to be God's representative figures or vice regents on this creation and this planet that he's put us within. So to be human is to be made in the image of God. To be human, uh, number two we looked at, is to be uh, loved by God. It's to be cared for by God, and it's to be wanted by God. God wants relationship with us. And then three, because God loves us, cares for us, and wants relationship with us, to be human is to be eternal. It's to be forever. It's to be everlasting. Jesus says that when the dead are resurrected, some will be resurrected to judgment and some to everlasting life. And so we are resurrected to life in Christ, and we are resurrected to judgment apart from Christ. And so to be human is to be forever. Uh, we then looked at this idea to be human is to be male or female. Important to point out because humanity is not best reflected with just men or with just women, but men and women are equal in value and worth before God, yet both have different attributes and characteristics to bring to the table to fully reflect the relational character of God. And then that first week, the last thing we touched on was the fact that to be human is to be good, very good, in fact. Even though we're all capable of very bad things, God still created us to be good. And even those who are far from God, who do not know God or who do not believe in God, still have the capacity to do good and to create good. And ultimately, the good that God created us in can only be redeemed in Christ, the only one who is truly good. And then last week, we talked about this idea that to be human is to be in relationship, that we cannot truly be fully human without being in relationship. We cannot know ourselves, love ourselves, help ourselves without a relationship with someone else. And so we talked about looking in the mirror of relationship to be able to reflect on who we are, to be experienced, to be felt, and to really experience all that God has made us to be. And so this week, we're going to be looking at, at something that doesn't seem very profound and, and to some people might seem like bad news, but it's this idea that to be human is to work. To be human is to work, retired or not retired, um, working age or not working age, uh, student or done with school. To be human is to work. How many of you like to work? Now, most of us would probably say, like, we really don't like to work, 
but, but I'd like to challenge that idea. I think most of us actually do like working. It's possible we just don't like the type of work that we're doing or possible that we do not like our jobs. And so I was trying to think about this idea, to be human is to work, thinking back to some of my first jobs, some of the work that I've done throughout my life. And if you were raised in a good home, you, you had chores to do. And I've got to defend my own home. If you're raised in a really, really good home, then you've got a lot of chores to do. And so it's human to do work. To be human is to do work. And so thinking back to some of my first chores, it was like things like emptying the garbage. My son loves to empty the garbage today. Um, my chore was to clean up dog poop outside. Who doesn't love to do that? And so these aren't chores that we had growing up. But then um, we get to an age where we start getting our first job, our, our real job, where someone actually hires you to do work for them, and you actually get paid for it. And I was trying to reflect on what my first job actually was, and what my first job actually was, I didn't even remember this until this last week, is that um, my father had a friend who was a cabinet maker, and I was 14, and he asked if I could come uh, work with him for the day uh, to help hold up cabinets because he couldn't screw in the cabinets without an assistant. And so I went to go work for this particular man. And now as an adult, I actually was thinking about this week, I was like, and, and my parents are here, they don't, don't answer this out loud, we can talk later in counseling. Um, <laughs> but I was trying to figure out, was, my, was this like, guy doing my dad a favor by letting me like work for him for this day? Or, or did this guy sadly think I was doing him a favor by showing up to help him with the cabinets. And that was the last time I ever saw that man was that day. <laughs> and, I, and I legitimately, I don't think I got paid. I was trying to remember that. Like, I don't remember getting paid by the guy, and I hardly remember anything at all. I thought I was really this great help, but now looking at my own children, I'm like, I probably wasn't much help to this poor guy at all. So that was my first paying job. And then when I got into the real business, I started uh, working at Dairy Queen. And I, I preached this sermon to Oklahoma today, and I was like, I don't know if they have Dairy Queen there. I actually learned you, there's not Dairy Queens a lot of places in the country, and then there's a lot of Dairy Queens in other places in the country. But Dairy Queen, I was a pro at that curl on top of an ice cream cone. And um, I was amazing at flipping blizzards, holding, holding blizzards upside down, um, eating a lot of food I probably wasn't supposed to eat while I was working there. I had all sorts of systems down where I would put, um, make little mini ice cream cones on the spoon, then dip them in the chocolate dip, and it was just was great. Sometimes I longed to go back. And so, you know, Dairy Queen was, was my first job, and I, I really liked it until I didn't. <laughs> and then I just, like, stopped liking it. Then I, I thought, okay, this isn't a good job for me, so I'm going to go work at a sandwich shop. And there was a sandwich shop uh, here in town that was called Togo's. There's a couple other Togo's um, in the state still. And I worked at this sandwich shop, and, I, and this, I, became, I became a manager at Togo's. And this was real big stuff for a 17-year-old. And there was all sorts of strange drama from people that were way too old to be working at Togo's um, that took place with 17-year-old me. I started fights, and it was just a strange place. But my best friend and I worked at Togo's together, and the most valuable experience I had at Togo's was that when we were closing... Uh, we would dump all the mop water out on the, the long, tiled floor uh, all the way to the back to the bathroom, and then one of us would hold the door open for the other, and we would get a, a running start in the parking lot and see who could make it all the way back to the bathroom, sliding across the floor. We were great employees. <laughs> and so, um, and if, 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 you know, the owner of Togo somehow ever listens to this message, I 
I don't apologize. It was great fun, actually. It was amazing. So we have all these different kinds of jobs. And so then, then I, I started to get to a stage in life where I started making, like, really good money. How many of you remember your job where you, like, first started making good money? And, and then you realize, like, well, there's actually something about working. It's nice to actually get good money that you can actually afford to do things uh, with, like important things like buy Nintendo 64 games. And, and we're like, there's really a lot of reward for work. And, but what I learned all throughout those different job experiences is that um, it wasn't until I would take on a job and see it from start to finish and when I had some responsibility within the job and when the job actually required hard work, it wasn't until then that I actually started to find some fulfillment in work. I realized it feels good to be responsible. In a weird way, even though there's pressure with it, it feels good to be involved in a project from start to finish, to actually work hard, to, to do things like sweat and bleed in your work and then see a finished product and actually find some satisfaction in that thing. And so I, I learned that I like to do things like yard work, for example, because you could see it from start to finish. I, I like to build things and, and clean things because you're in the process. You can see it from the beginning to the end. But then something else happened in life in regard to work is, is when you get married, work becomes very different because now your money is not just your money anymore. It's our money. And then once you get married and if you have children, then all of a sudden you have little people that you're responsible for that you're required now to make sure that they have food, that they have diapers, and that they have clothing. And while that is an incredible, stressful burden, it also is very fulfilling to realize I am responsible. And I, and I am responsible to make sure that these very things happen. And so once I started to gain responsibility and knowing that, that if I didn't work, that these kids or this spouse wouldn't eat, all of a sudden work was more fulfilling. And I saw the purpose and the cause in it. And, and I actually started to enjoy it a little bit. And it was almost like the more responsibility there was and the harder the work there was, the more enjoyment there actually was. And there's this old saying, I don't know who uh, came up with this saying. And the statement is about men, but I think it can apply to women as well. But the statement is that men are like trucks and that men drive straighter on the road when they have a heavier load. That means that sometimes if, if men do not have responsibility, do not have spouses or children or family to care for or to provide for, oftentimes men are pretty aimless within their lives, but when you have responsibility, it kind of helps you keep on a straight path. Do you follow that logic? And I, I found that to be true for my own life. And some of you ladies may have found yourself in that position as well, that life has more purpose and meaning when you're responsible for things and you actually have to pull some weight. And so this is, these are just some thoughts about work. This is really all about biblical stewardship, that God gives us every good thing. And as stewards of what God has given us, we give back to those around us, and we honor God by even giving back to him, even though he doesn't need it back. These are stewardship issues. To be human is to work. Uh, but then something strange happened uh, around the age of 25 or so for, for me, is I found my calling. For, for whatever reason, I had this... God speak to me and tell me that I would be in, in ministry, uh, that I would be a pastor. And, and all of a sudden, like, I have this calling, I have this vocation. And it wasn't until I, I got this calling 
that I realized that if I wasn't fulfilling the calling that I had on my life, that I was miserable. And, and that I had to be doing the thing I was called to do to find any joy or fulfillment and satisfaction in life because it's what God had created me for. Now, I want to preface this with a few things. Um, ministry, church work, and secular work in the world are, are not better than one another. Uh, in fact, all work is ministry. All ministry is work. And so whether you are pumping gas or pushing numbers or selling houses, that's ministry. You're, you're, it's service that you are rendering to God. It's service you're rendering to other people. It's worship to God. And, and so please don't hear me say that, like, ministry church work is better than secular worldly work. This ministry work is a lot, it's, it's, it's very hard, actually. And, and so my calling, I don't know what yours is, but my calling happened to be in this ministry church work. And I realized when I wasn't doing that, everything else was, was purposeless. And to add one more caveat onto that is that all of us are called to do ministry work within the church. All of us are called to do ministry work in our neighborhood. All of us are called to do ministry work in the world. And oftentimes that becomes a peripheral thing around our secular work. And so it's all work. It's all ministry. But we're all called to something. We all have passion. If we don't fulfill those, we find ourselves miserable because to be human is to work. It's to do the very work that you were actually created to do. And so just as we have the last two weeks, we've been looking at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, talking about the creation of mankind. And we've read a couple of times Genesis 2.15. In Genesis 2.15, it says this, of Adam. It says, the Lord God took the man, this is Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So the very first thing that takes place in the life of Adam is that Adam is given an actual job. He's given a vocation. He's placed within this garden, Eden, to work and keep it. Now, um, we could go down a very long rabbit trail. I will for about 45 seconds. Is that the Garden of Eden is not a mere garden. It is a place that heaven and earth essentially overlap. It is a place where God and man would commune with one another. It is this special, unique, sacred, holy place that was much like a temple or a garden. That's why temples throughout human history have garden imagery. It's because they're going back to Eden. And so in the Hebrew language that this was written, when it says Adam was placed in the garden to work and to keep it, it's the exact same Hebrew words that are used for priests and Levites in the temple in the nation of Israel. The priests and Levites would guard and serve in the temple. Guard and serve, work and keep are the exact same Hebrew words. And so you might say, is my purpose in life to be a gardener? And the answer to that is it's just not. Maybe it's your purpose. Maybe you love gardening, but not all of us are to be gardeners, but all of us are to be workers and keepers. All of us are to be servants and guardians. We are to guard and steward what God's given us, and we are to serve the Lord in whatever he asks us to serve him in. And so Adam is given this job to serve and to guard, to work and to keep. This is one way he would image God. And so to be human is to work. Everybody's got a purpose. Everybody's been created to do different kinds of work. And so as we've discussed several times, Eve is introduced to the equation. 
woman is introduced into the equation. And when man and woman come together, they are then given a job together as a relationship, as a couple. And it's in Genesis 1.28. God commissions them to this work of working and keeping. It says God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all living things. So I mention this to say that when it was just Adam, when it was just mankind, Adam was only supposed to work and keep the Garden of Eden. But when man and woman come together, they were then commissioned into this work where they would actually take place in this expansion product, uh, expansion project of Eden where they would take Eden to the entire planet, fill the earth, subdue the whole earth, have dominion over the whole earth. And so to be human is not just to work. But to be human is to work in relationship, to work together in relationship. And when you work together in relationship, your work can produce more and greater things. Uh, This pandemic has been strange because it's forced many of us to work at home by ourselves. Some of you have determined that you love it. You're strange. Um, Some of you have determined... I need people. I need relationship. I like to be around people. Studies show that people are oftentimes more productive when they're working around more productive people. And if people are doing better work, it produces better work in you. And so to be human is to work together. And so how many of you just love every coworker you have? Aren't they wonderful people? Like your coworkers, they don't cause any drama. They cause no strife for you, no stress. You guys all get along perfectly with those that you work with. But even though they may cause drama and strife, it really is some of the stuff that life is made out of is to do work together in relationship with other people. We're called to work together. So we were created to work. We were created with a job to do. And we were created with a job to do with others. But we've talked the last two weeks about sin, how sin stains it all. Sin stains our ability to image God well. Sin stains our ability to understand that we are wanted, loved, and cared for. Sin stains um, this reality of everlasting life because it brings judgment. Sin stains the idea of male and female as those things become confused and perverted. Sin stains things like being good and producing good. Sin stains relationships, but sin stains work too. When, when Adam experienced a curse from the sin that he engaged in with his wife before God, the curse that Adam inherited was this idea that now work is not going to be as productive. Work is not going to be as fulfilling. Work is going to be painful. It's going to cause toil and strife. But just like relationships and just like the ability to image God and just like the ability to do good, these things can still happen with people who are far from God. Every human being is called to work whether they know God or not. And so people that don't know God, who don't serve Christ, who don't follow Christ, still produce good work, still have the ability and are still called and commanded to work. And ultimately that work can be redeemed in Christ to be even greater. But regardless of who you are, we are workers. We have to work. Work is how we survive. Work is part of being human before and after sin. Work is our duty as a Christian. And to image God in our work 
and provide for ourselves and our families, it's one way that we are imagers of God. So look with me at 2 Thessalonians 3. Uh, it'll be up on the screen online. It'll be on the screen in-house behind me. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. It says, for even when we were with you. This is Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica. He says, when me and my ministry partners were with you, we would give you this command. So Paul's saying, I'm about to tell you something really hard. But we're not just telling you this hard thing because we're writing it in a letter. We would actually tell you this face-to-face. He says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of you are lazy. You're not busy working, but you're busy being busybodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So in regards to Christians, this is a word for Christians, work isn't just something we get to do. Work isn't just part of being human, but work is something that we're commanded to do. Work is something that we're commanded to do so that we have the ability to clothe ourselves, house ourselves, and feed ourselves. And so a way to look at this is that work is a conduit by which God blesses us. James says every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so we get these good things from God, but the conduit by which many of those good things are obtained are through our very work by which we earn a living. And so Paul goes even further in 2 Timothy to say, if you abstain from working, if you avoid working, if you avoid providing for your family, that you're actually engaging in grievous sin before God. 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So work is necessary for survival. It is important. It is crucial. Now, I, I want to give uh, just a couple side notes as we do continue forward and start to wrap this up. You might say, well, Pastor, I have an exception. And, and some of you do have some interesting exceptions. We'll look at some of those. But it doesn't take away that we all have to find meaningful work. It doesn't take away from the fact that we're commanded to work, and work is one of the ways by which we find the very good things that we need. So with that being said, work is a good thing. Work is exercising our humanity. And so it's such a good thing that the Bible warns us about not doing it, but we also have to make sure we don't deny the fact that work is good and that we don't deny the blessings that work can provide. Romans 12 says this, Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So again, Paul's saying, hey, don't be lazy. Be fervent. Be passionate. Serve God. Don't be lazy. This work that God's called you to, whether it's secular work or ministry work, it's good. You ought to be involved in it. And work is actually, it's so good that it's a way that we reflect and bear the image of God. In John 5, Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working. So work is not above God. God works. Jesus works. And if we say work is not for us, essentially we're saying we're better than Jesus. We're saying we're better than the Father. Even though they're working, we choose not to work. Jesus says in John chapter 4, 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What Jesus is saying is, I find satisfaction in working. We can find satisfaction in working by doing meaningful work. And we'll look and see as we close today, the last thing we'll read is how we find meaning no matter what work we're doing. But our culture sees hard work as something that's beneath us. But hard work is not beneath us, friend. It's something to strive for. It's something that's deeply satisfying. And I love people that actually feel that their calling is to do hard work, that their calling is to do hard labor and and sweat and toil because they actually find satisfaction in it. And, And those type of people, people that see that they're not above anyone else, that's the kind of humility that God seeks for us. And so there's not a job that's better than another job. There's some jobs that pay more than other jobs, but there's not a line of work or a classification of work that that is higher or lower than another. And so Scripture tells us that even if we find ourselves in a dark time, an evil time, and a bleak and confusing time in our history, we can still find joy in working. Jeremiah 29, verse 5 through 7. In Jeremiah 29, this is where we get Jeremiah 29, 11, which we love to quote and tattoo and put stickers, and we love to wear T-shirts that say, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. And we're like, yes, I love that verse. But the verse in context is not as happy as it sounds. In context, the kingdom of Judah has been taken in exile to the kingdom of Babylon. And in Babylon, there are false prophets that are saying, God's going to get us out of here immediately. God's got this. We're good. We're going right back to Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, says, actually, these other prophets are wrong. We're going to be here a long time. How long, Jeremiah? Seventy years. Say again. Seventy years we're going to be here. And so when God says, I know the plans I have for you, it's plans to prosper you, he's saying, even in exile, I've got good plans for you. But ultimately, what he's saying is, I've given you a future and a hope beyond exile. This is a long game, not something that's happening immediately. But God says, here's what I want you to do while you're here, while you're suffering. Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7. He says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Don't decrease. Seek the welfare of Babylon, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on Babylon's behalf, for when Babylon prospers, you prosper. And so we find ourselves in some ways in a Babylon situation right now. We might call it just cultural um, just collapse. We might call it you know, COVID-19. This is a very interesting time. But regardless of the interesting times we live in, God's saying, seek to make a profit. Seek to prosper through your work. Do good work in hard times. Find satisfaction, joy, and contentment in your work in the difficult times. God says your work can still bless the community. Even though your community is not for you, you can bless the community that's against you by doing good work within your very community. To be human is to work. You were created for work. You're commanded to work now as a Christian, and you're actually going to be working forever. You never retire. You will be working forever. And you say, Pastor, what do you mean? 
Are you talking about heaven? Because in heaven, I wear a diaper, and I sit on a cloud, and I play a harp. That's not a heaven I want to be involved in. That doesn't sound very interesting to me. And so in Revelation uh, verse 3 of chapter 22, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed. Well, what was cursed? Work was cursed. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, will be in this new heaven and this new earth. And his servants will serve him or worship him. What you and I will be doing for eternity will be serving God. And if Eden is our vision of paradise in the intended state, and if in Eden we were given work to do, how much greater work will we be given to do in the ultimate paradise? And so your paradise, your eternity will not be a boring one. It will be a one of fruitful, productive, joyous, fulfilling work in which you are fulfilling the purposes of God. So to be human is to work, and it's to work actually forever. The pastor, Revelation 14, 13, says that we will rest from our labor. It does say that. But that's because the labor that we engage in now, it is stained with toil and sweat and blood. But the labor that we will have in paradise for eternity will seem like rest compared to the work that we have now. So how do we wrap this whole thing up here? What work should we be doing right now? What work should you and I be doing now? Because I do believe that God has a calling for us. I believe that God has specific work for each of us to do, whether it's through ministry or work. Ephesians 2.10 says this. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the question that you and I should be asking is, what good works have I been saved to do? What is my calling? What is the thing that God wants me to do? And what I've learned is that we need to actually spend a lifetime of discovering what those things are. And discovering our good work, it means sampling. It means trying out. It means always being passionate, not lazy. Busying ourselves with work, not busy bodying. So what do you want to be when you grow up? I'll have people ask me whether they're 10, 15, or 50. Um, how did you know what you wanted to be? How did you fall into something that you felt you were called to? What am I supposed to be when I grow up? What, what do you think I should do when I grow up? When did you determine what you were supposed to do when you grew up? Though People will ask me, and I'll say, I'm still figuring it out. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't know what the future has for me. I know what I'm doing right now. And so th this quote, as I was looking over Ephesians 2, if you take anything away today about work, take this away. Determine what you'll do when you grow up by determining what you should be doing now. Determine what you should do when you grow up by determining what you should be doing now. You see, so many of us are so obsessed with doing what we're supposed to do when we grow up that we're not doing anything right now. And what I've learned is that we learn what we're supposed to do when we grow up while we're working. And it happens all throughout Scripture, by the way. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God calls them while they're doing their work. Moses, God calls him very literally while he's doing his work. 
Gideon, God calls him while he's doing his work. Joseph, God calls him while he's doing his work. You might not be falling into the work that God has for you because you're not working right now. I had a conversation with someone a few months ago that said, the reason I'm not working right now is because I'm waiting for, and this is their exact words, I'm waiting for the perfect job to present itself. And, and I lovingly said with challenge, like, that's never going to happen. You will continuously be unemployed, living with people that are paying all of your bills because you're waiting to find exactly what it is that God has in store for you. But God's not going to likely show up with a beam from heaven saying, this is your work. You actually have to work to discover it. And so we must find something to do now while we're trying to figure out what to do in the future. And people are like, well, I'm just waiting for the right school. I'm waiting for the right ministry. I'm waiting for myself to be invited to be the lead singer of a band that's going to make millions of dollars, but I'm not willing to put in the practice now. We've got to find places and things to do to serve now. So determine what you're going to do when you grow up by doing what you're doing now. And this is where I give you some of those uh, exceptions you might have. You might say, well, I'm in school right now. Hey, that's awesome. If that's what God's called you to do now, do it. If, you, if you've got food on your table and you can provide for your family and God's calling you to a greater work through school, then that is honorable. Do you know what the greatest job in the world is? The hardest job in the world is? The most important job in the world is? Raising kids. So you might say, I'm a stay-at-home parent right now. So I, I'm devoting my time to homeschooling. I'm devoting my time to raising my kids. I'm devoting my time to take care of my kids. And, and I would give you a standing ovation and say, yeah, that's the hardest job ever. That's the most important, meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling work that you can ever do. But then despite that, you still have to find a way to put food on the table for those kids. You still have to find a way to make sure there's a roof over their heads. And so all of us find ourselves in these awkward predicaments of who works, who stays home. I'm a single parent. What do I do? Keep doing what you're doing. If you find yourself in a place where God calls you to do that, then pursue those things that God calls you to do. But sometimes we have to stop back and say, oh, I can't provide, and so I actually have to go and do a kind of work that I don't like because I need to provide for those who depend on me. Last exception is this. Um, I'm retired. I don't have to work anymore. If you're retired from your job, I would encourage you to not stop working. I didn't say I'd encourage you to stay at your job, but if you're retired from your job, I would encourage you to keep working. Look for good work to do to serve your community. Don't lose your meaning. Don't lose your purpose. Don't lose your vocation just because you're old and retired. There's still work to do. It's what makes you human. I was talking... Um, speaking to our church in Oklahoma today, and our dear friend Trina there, she retired uh, at 39 years old. And I was like, you know, what are you going to do? And so I, I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to open up a hair salon. I'm going to plant a church. I'm going to start a hair business. I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. I'm like, whoa, are you retired? Yeah, but, but I, I've got stuff to do. And so oftentimes people that find themselves retired, they actually find themselves bored. I was talking to a, a friend of mine the other day that said, 
you know, it was only after a certain amount of time that a person can only do so much outdoor activity and hiking and, and all this fun stuff before they get bored. And I'm like, try me. I think I could do it. I think I could. But then I find myself in that situation and find out that, that you can't. We desire to keep ourselves busy. So Colossians 3, here's the last verse. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So to be human is to work. And guess what work actually is? Work is worship. So when you go to work tomorrow, you're not actually working for your supervisor. You're not actually working for a paycheck. You're actually working for Christ. And that worship, that work, is worship. So you've got something to do. You've got a ministry you've been called to do. But whatever you do, do it with all your might as if you're doing it for God. The point here is just find something. Just do something to find purpose and meaning. And whether you're retired or not, it doesn't matter. Just find good work to do. Because if you don't do it, you're going to actually find yourself pretty miserable. And usually what brings on the largest onset of depression is people that don't have purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And we find that purpose, meaning, and fulfillment through our work. We'll end with a quote. I'll have Casey come up and lead us in worship. I know it's kind of a, a weird message. Uh, but I think it's really important. I think it's important to know that to be human, it's to image God. And one way we image him is through our work. I think it's important to acknowledge that one way to acknowledge being human, it's that God loves us. He wants us. He cares for us. And he shows that to us through our work. It's important to know that we are everlasting. We're eternal. And we work for the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. It's important to know that God made us male and female, and in relationship we work together. It's important to know God made us good and we're capable of good work. It's important to know that we're created for relationship to do work together. And it's so crucial to know if we want to find fulfillment in being humanity is that to be human is to work. And you're going to find great purpose there. There's a uh, psychologist by the name of Brene Brown, and she's written a lot of books on vulnerability, and you may have heard some of her TED Talks before on vulnerability. And I'm not usually one to, like, read quotes and, and messages, but I found that this was, like, the best quote to end this message with. And she says this. She says, Squandering our gifts brings distress to our lives. As it turns out, it's not merely benign or too bad if we don't use the gifts that we've been given. She says we pay for it with our emotional and physical well-being. When we don't use our talents to cultivate meaningful work, we struggle. We feel disconnected. We feel weighted down by feelings of emptiness, frustration, resentment, shame, disappointment, and even grief. And so here, a secular psychologist is affirming what Scripture says, that to be human is to work, and that we find meaning, purpose, and fulfillment not in the jobs we have, but in the work that we do. And when we don't cultivate that, it brings 
misery. So reflect on your life today and say, am I doing the kind of work that God's calling me to do? Not the job that you have, not the money you make. Am I doing the kind of work that God wants me to do? What's God calling me to? And if you hate your job right now, as you go to that job you hate tomorrow, change your perspective. You're not working with coworkers you don't like or for a boss that you don't respect. You're not working for a paycheck. You're working for Christ. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might because you are working for Christ. And here's the beauty of the culture we live in right now. If you don't like your job, you can find a new one. But unless you see yourself as working for Christ at the new job, no matter how sparkly that job looks right now, you're going to end up hating it exactly the same. Because it's not about the job, the paycheck, the boss. It's about the work that we do, the work that we do for Christ. So let's humble ourselves. Let's seek contentment where we're at. And if God's calling you to something more, greater, better, that's wonderful. But you're not going to like it unless you realize this is for Christ and not for me. Would you bow your heads as we pray?